Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? Today, we have another listener's choice. So we talked about this in the previous series. We've got lessons learned from a job hunt. So one of our listeners reached out to us. He is in the midst of a job hunt. Uh, we oftentimes will speak to listeners that are either interviewing for a role, but in this case, uh, it was a job layoff. And I was reminded of an article that I read on LinkedIn. It was written by Josh Van Geest. We'll include the link to his article in our show notes. But it was really well written and it was somewhat unique because I think, Bobby, in my mind, when I, I, I've kind of always been in the mindset as I've kind of have to have something on the back burner. Like if, if someone were to, certainly early in my career, I don't really think about it as much late in my career, but earlier in my career, I thought, man, if, if something went wrong with Microsoft or, or whatever, I need to have something kind of queued up and ready to go because I thought in my mind it, it was if I was out of a job, it'd be far more difficult to find a job if I'm, if I'm just out there in the market. I don't know. Do that, you have similar kind of concerns or fears? Yeah, definitely early on in my career and, and still today, if I didn't have a job, I think I'd be a little bit worried about where might the next check be coming from. I, I do believe with experience and the growth of the network, I do believe confidently that I would find something, but would it be the one that I love? Would it be the one that I want to go to do every day? I don't know. Um, so yeah, I can definitely remember back thinking I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quit my job without a plan to get a job. Yeah. And, and so totally agree there. I think that was something my, my, I remember my dad saying in high school, like we had to have a job in high school growing up. And I remember like just complaining and moaning to my dad, like my, my job is awful. I, I hate doing this. I don't want to do this anymore. And, uh, he would famously say that there is no way I'm, I'm quitting my job at the sports store unless you've got something else lined up because that insurance and gas doesn't pay for itself. So uh, I, I have the same mindset I, I, I had did for many years. And I, so I think what was interesting about Josh's story in LinkedIn, and again, this will be linked in the show notes, was that uh, the, 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 the title of his article is it's all about your network and that's a problem in, in his words. The, the interesting point of the article was that he was laid off from his job and because he was laid off, he was able to very openly post in a LinkedIn article that he was openly looking for work. So he basically laid out the entire situation in a first job post on a Monday morning. And that led to him having 15 recruitment processes running in parallel. So I don't know about you, Bobby, but whenever I've made the decision, a conscious decision that I'm going to leave the company I'm working for, the, the concept of having 15 recruiting processes in parallel, it seems beyond overwhelming. No doubt. I think we historically have all taken a mindset that we find a job before we quit our job. And that means there's some discrete thing going on, right? You're trying to engage with one or two, maybe one um, future employer, and it's a secret. So there's no way you could ever do 15 and keep it a secret, not in today's world for sure. Um, and if my memory serves me right. He was, he wasn't like he was just let go from somewhere. It was like an entire department that he was a part of got, um, ended at a company that he was at, which gave him this opportunity to be very forthright and open about it. It wasn't like a performance problem or something like that, that all of a sudden created him being laid off. 
That's right. That's right. And I, I even thought, like, I probably thought when I before I read this article that even in that scenario, that there would be a stigma. But I do remember all the time at, at you know big companies I've worked for that great people were let go. It, it to your point, it's not always a it's not always a production problem. That sometimes companies just make bad decisions or cut departments or cut teams or have to downsize and. And, and people are an unfortunate uh, victim of that of that downsizing. So this was really interesting. Well, in, in every case nowadays, it's so rigorous that HR has to be um, unbiased to the people that they're letting go as a as a riff or a layoff happens. Uh, sometimes really good people get let go if they have the least amount of time on a team. Uh, I've seen some people switch jobs, and unfortunately, that group got let go. I mean, it's it's very realistic that top talent could fall into these layoff, let go, riff type scenarios for sure. Yep. So step one he took, Bobby, was he posted on a Monday morning. He posted that he was um, that he was in the market, right? So he explained what happened with his company. There was a downsizing uh, of the company. And this this article basically talks through several lessons, five lessons, in fact, that he learned through this job hunt process. So we thought we might walk you through the lessons one by one. The first one was, lesson number one was, uh, a strong network is a key to a successful job hunt. It's maybe the most obvious statement, the one that you'd expect the most. But it, what he calls out first here is that it's really more probably, I think, a, a thank you to his network. His network was there for him. In every step of the way through the process, he had offers to put him in touch with connections that they had, maybe second or third contact or connections that he had in LinkedIn, uh, offers to back channel with current or previous employers at the companies that he was interviewing with. So somebody that may have worked for that company presently or used to work for that company, he had offers to get connected there. And the takeaway that he called out here was that the power of a strong network um, was integral. It was the number one reason that he was able to have, in his words, what, 15 different recruitment processes running in parallel. Uh, so very powerful, uh, first and foremost, is to have a very active uh, LinkedIn network uh, and personal network that he had working for him. You bring up a good point. I, I think as we, as I think of my network, um, aren't we always most active with those people right around us, meaning... Um, it's odd. We, we are a unique pair where you don't work together on a day job. You don't have a reason to stay connected. You get separated by a little bit of distance. Um, I would say I'm in touch with three people that I was in law enforcement with, you know, 20 years ago, um, less than 10 from Microsoft really and truly. So we're going to lose those connections. How many people really in that LinkedIn network are really active? And, and there's only a few ways you can keep those people active, either staying in touch or, or finding a way. If you're low, if you're a regular on the show or listener of the show, you've heard about my call 10 practice, one that everyone listening and all of you listening should refer that to 10 of your friends, but uh, stay in touch by, by calling and contacting people on a regular basis. Um, that way, if this happens to you, it's not, you're not the the random person in the middle of the week saying, Hey, can you make hook me up, man? And, uh, I think those connections that I have, uh, have been real ones. They're not fake. And if I did have something like this happen, I would be able to call a bunch of people and start that process of getting those referrals. And so what was interesting too, statistically you called out here, and then maybe this comes to the point of what, what's the actual action here 
call 10 is a, is a huge one. But the statistics he offered here was he had an 87% success rate at turning internal referrals into callbacks. So he had 13 callbacks from a recruiter or a hiring manager out of the 15 times he was referred for a role internally. Now, this is obviously N equals one. This is just him. This is his own statistics. This is not, you know, across hundreds of people looking for jobs. But again, I think it speaks to Bobby how important that staying in touch with people are. And we talk about call 10. There's also the the steps of of just, you know, being active on LinkedIn, posting articles that you find interesting, commenting and congratulating people that uh, maybe they start a new career or a new job or they have a work anniversary at a place that you used to work with them at. It it doesn't take long. It doesn't take much to stay active in a tool like LinkedIn uh, to stay connected to your network, stay connected to those people that you worked with 10 or 15 years ago. No doubt. And I, the article calls out that in contrast, the three roles that he did apply for without a referral, he got zero callbacks. Now, that might be N equals one, two, but it's a tall tale sign of how the real world of recruiting, referrals, and hiring really works. Um, we've talked about it on other shows. We have not, uh, I have not, I don't think you have either, gotten a job that wasn't a direct connection slash referral. Um, where someone knew us, was aware of us, and they brought us on. Um, it's You're not just going to walk into one of these roles anymore without that direct connection. Yeah, and I think that's really why he titled his article, It's All About Your Network, and then in parentheses, and that's a problem. Uh, yeah, there's not, ma- no one's going to go get a job um, when they don't have any connections. It, it It is a problem that in today's world, there's a lot of great recruiters out there, no doubt, but the recruiting mechanism, because we're all passive, because we're all hiding from the fact that we might be looking for that next job, is why recruiters aren't finding a, a dozen great people mm-hmm. for the next job. That's why managers are struggling to find great people via recruiting because no one's openly looking for a job unless they've had this one really unique circumstance where they got laid off and it's okay to get laid on this circumstance or they've been a problem and they got let go, right? Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Lesson number two is good mentorship is priceless. Um, again, a fairly obvious one. However, I'd say that the, and, and he doesn't specifically call this out here, but um, your mentors a lot of times can really challenge you. So for example, I can, I can imagine certainly early in the career for a layoff, there's a fair amount of desperation, right? Like, what what percent of the world is, you know, maybe tech sales is not a perfect representation of the world living month to month. But look, it's never great to be without a paycheck. I think we can all agree on that. So if you're interviewing in his in his world, he's got, what, 15 recruitment processes going in parallel. If you get an offer in from the first one, but you still have 10 of those processes still going, do you accept that one or do you hold off? And I think this is where the good mentorship is priceless. I think this is where it has the biggest impact because Bobby, if I were calling you in this scenario and I was like, Bobby, I mean, I still have these, I still have these several interviews going on, but I just got this offer from this one company. I would be hoping that you would say, Brian, chill out, take a deep breath. This is, you know, this is a good offer. It's not a great offer. Here's what you need to tell them. You'll be in a far, you'll see the forest. I'll see the trees. And that's where I think your mentors played the biggest role. 
no doubt. But you're also going to want to know that things are going to be okay and that you are going to get a job and that this one is one of many fish in the sea, right? So like you said, uh, I think a good mentor will be able to show you the forest and you might be seeing that tree. So Bobby, it'd be good. You've got a, you've got a good, I think you've called them kind of your board of directors in many cases. Why don't you share with the listeners kind of what that looks like for you? What does your network look like? Yeah, a few old customers and a few old employees, right? I would say I could call on uh, four really close people that have helped me make some career decisions, some business decisions, and be able to find out what they know about the current job market and who I might be able to reach out to or who might be looking for my skill set. I think the key there is in any given day in tech, uh, I probably get asked for a good sales rep whether it's via LinkedIn recruiting or something, someone's reaching out to me every week saying, are you looking or do you know someone that's looking? And so I would say my network has a bunch of those as well. Um, I think the differentiator that the mentors get to provide you insights on are a breadth of jobs, which gives me the opportunity to narrow down to the one or two that I really want to do. Something that's really going to uh, get me excited. I've told the story a bunch. I don't know if I've ever told on the podcast, but when I went to Dell, well, originally EMC, I didn't just take a job because someone uh, was offering me a job. It was obviously the right time. It fit into a bunch of criteria that I had written down with my wife to, to, to make a decision to take that next job. But the bigger picture for me was just, just like we've mentioned in earlier episodes, it was a merit badge. I had really never sold hardware. So mm-hmm. not only did it accomplish everything that I wanted it to do, but it was something that would put another feather in my portfolio and say, I've now sold hardware, I've sold services, I've sold software, I've sold pretty much the gamut. To just go to another software company might not have been the most advantageous thing for me. So through my network, uh, I was allotted that opportunity to find something that would provide me great value, and that was selling hardware. That's great. Yeah, I I, I I can't stress it enough if, um, even if it's, it doesn't have to be five, you know, big mentors or five people on your, on your board of directors that you have, but be thoughtful about who those people are. Don't have them all in the tech industry as well. I'd say, and that's not probably not a best practice to have uh, a father-in-law as somebody on my board of directors, but my father-in-law is, was the former president of Lockheed Martin and not a tech guy at all. Uh, didn't understand it, didn't care about it. Tech was an enabler to run companies in his, in his world. But talk about somebody that has a, that offers a grounding conversation to me. Somebody that can help me see the forest and not the trees. Uh, he was incredibly valuable. So don't think of just people in your industry. Um, think of people outside of your industry that can, uh, that can help you take a step back, take a deep breath and help you work towards your, your broader goals. And we, none of us are maybe going to have that opportunity to have someone of that caliber in their network, but don't have a bunch of your peers in your network either, like their drinking buddies or your softball team. I mean, that's not going to be good enough. You're going to need to nurture those relationships with people that, that have the other hiring managers in their network, you know, customers, the, the VPs and those customers, uh, if it is tech, you're going to need to be managers and above in that tech world. So they're looking for people. They're looking for the job you're wanting to have. Stay a gate, a, a gate or two above where you're at. Don't just have your friends as those mentors in your network that are going to help you get that next job. Great advice. Number three, LinkedIn enabled his job hunt to go viral. So 
As I mentioned, he wrote two articles. The first article, so he was laid off on a Tuesday. He spent that rest of that week uh, building his resume, rebuilding his resume, putting his thoughts together. And then as his mentor advised him, take the bull by the horns, and which included sharing a status update. So he posted an article, the first article, and again, we're going to link to both of these on techcellshow.com to where he updated his LinkedIn profile, published his first article, put his situation out there, put his aspirations out there that he was officially looking, willing to network, willing to explore other op- options. <clears throat> his average profile views, so you can, you know, I'm sure everyone's familiar with this, you can see uh, how many people are looking at your profile if you opt in as well. He was having an average of 7 to 10 average profile views, and that skyrocketed to 700 profile views over the course of a week. And now he's, this guy is now has thousands of LinkedIn connections, but I think most of the people that listen to the show have hundreds or thousands of connections on LinkedIn. So it wasn't as if we're talking about a vice president of a huge company here. This is a normal guy like the rest of us that because of his very public nature with all of this and a well put together LinkedIn page, which anyone can do, a well put together resume, which anyone can do, and an article, which anyone can write, basically increased his average views by 10x over the course of one week. Well, we've all probably seen it, but someone changes or wants to change jobs or gets let go or laid off. Uh, they instantly get a brand new profile picture. You you and 10 of your friends are getting requests for referrals. It's a very reactive cleaning up process of your LinkedIn profile, your resume, etc. Do one thing a week. Just put a reminder on your on your task list of some sort to write some articles, share some content, comment on a post. It's not that hard to stay engaged with that network and that, that LinkedIn profile so that it doesn't become stale and then doesn't become work that you do all of a sudden once you need help from people. Yeah, for me, it's I have a reminder on my calendar at 7.30 every Wednesday morning to do something to be active socially. And it takes that reminder for me because you, we all get into the, the grind, into the rhythm of our day. So every every Wednesday morning at 7.30, I've got a reminder. Sometimes that's writing feedback for someone on LinkedIn. Sometimes it's it's leaving feedback from somebody at Workday or several people at Workday. Uh, but the point is being very conscious about networking uh, externally. And when you do do something on LinkedIn, I mean, be creative about how you use that content to help you. So uh, I've been known to call Brian and ask Brian to put some comments on something that I wrote or posted on LinkedIn or other social sites. Uh, I've been known to ask other people, you know, if you have, if you have a good network, use that network to ask them to help and chime in and and share and grow your content. Um, You probably need to create good content first, right? That's always um, the question that begs is, is this content worth sharing? And then be creative or, or thoughtful about when you publish it. If you publish something on a Saturday night, at 8 p.m. Central Time to LinkedIn. I doubt very many people are going to do that. You do that with a cat picture on Facebook, you might get some <laughs> some activity. But um, be thoughtful about when you're going to publish your content as well. Lesson number four, hiring managers are terrified recruiters are missing out on great candidates. And they're right. Um, you know, we, the, the recruiters are in a really challenging spot, right? They have a Let's say that they've got a first-line sales manager that, what, Bobby has typically has five to ten reps working for him? Probably and always one or two open headcount and should be pipelining for one or two roles all the all the time. 
And they're sharing a recruiter probably with, you know, three, four, five, ten other sales managers. The recruiter typically lives in a territory outside of where the sales manager is at. And I'm, these are just broad generalizations, right? That hiring manager wakes up on Monday morning thinking, I am two heads down, I'm one head down, or I don't have enough pipeline candidates out there. That That is a real fear for a first-line sales manager. Even second-line sales manager is achieving a broad territory goal with a small number with a smaller number of account executives than they have budgeted for. So they're always on the recruiters, pressing the recruiters, looking for internal people. The point of this is that you need to use your network to get to these managers. We did a listener's choice on this two months ago. Check that out. We speak about this in depth, but this is really where you should be going to the hiring managers directly or going through the recruiters via a referral. Because if you're going to wait for the recruiter to reach out to you because you did a job posting on their website, good luck. This is where I would recommend people to have a few recruiters in their network. You know, there's there's some people think it's a sticky stigma to have a bunch of recruiters in your network. Uh, I have a few friends that are recruiters. I stay engaged and talk to those people. They give me some insights. They kind of keep me up to date on what the job market really looks like. But at the end of the day, when you need that referral or you need that recruiter to help you, again, it can't be just reactive. You need to be out in front of that. So have a few in your network. Make sure that you're keeping up with what they're looking for and being asked for and that you're helping them understand what you're able to do. You never know when those two things might cross. But I can assure you the hiring manager is not going to find you through a recruiter that you don't know that's probably one in a hundred thousand of the really good jobs that are out there on the market. Love it. So Bobby, let's, let's talk about lesson number five and then we'll have three tangible next steps the listeners can take. So lesson number five is the odds are against you without an internal connection. We just spoke about this in depth. The point of it is you, you, you'd be screaming in the wind if you thought you could change it from any other way. But the point is you have to have an internal good network. And, and we talked, so we did beat it to death, but the key, one key thing is, are you staying engaged with those people that have those internal connections? Uh, it goes back to, if I work at Dell EMC and I only run around with the five or 10 people that are in my immediate virtual team and none of them people are looking to leave, the only re- internal referral that I'm going to get is when they first go somewhere else, right? So the first person on my team jumps ship, they land at a competitor more than likely in this world. And then they, they start calling all their people to try and, oh, follow me. This is the greatest opportunity in the world. That's not going to do you much justice. It's just going to be more of the same. How do you stay connected with your network, customers, friends, family that are in different industries, as Brian said, or different geographies? Stay connected with them. You've got to work your network. It cannot just be passive. And then when you need their help, the way I say it all the time is, so and so's emergency becomes my problem, right? And that's not that's not the way it's going to work. Stay in touch, stay engaged, stay connected. That way, it'll be real easy when you need that internal referral. All right. Yeah. So, sorry. Let's go ahead and talk about the three steps that we are going to direct everyone to do. Number one, clean up your LinkedIn. Let's get it straight now. Um, if you, you know, get a good professional headshot done. It would cost you you know, 50 bucks, hundred bucks to get a really nice professional headshot done for your LinkedIn page. Um, get your job profiles correct. Get your timelines correct. Talk about projects that you're working on. Have a good, you know, even if you don't, you know, you don't have to 
you know, burn a weekend doing this, but what if you were to add fresh content to it every week and get it cleaned up and up to speed? And while you're at it, Bobby, why don't you, know, why don't you jump over and like the TechSell show? We're building a bit of a community there too. As uh, Emily has started to call out, uh, at the end of our podcast shows, we are building a bigger social media presence that includes LinkedIn. So go ahead and find us on LinkedIn and like the TechSell show. Awesome. Don't hesitate to like me. That way I can stay way out in front of Brian. We'll follow me. I'll friend you, and then I'll have more followers than Brian. That's the way it should work. No way. Number two, who are those mentors? Did you take time to go back and listen to our episode uh, and build that board of directors? Um, it, we have a sheet on our website that you can find that should help you think through what your board of directors should look like. Um, create a good core mentor set. Make sure you're engaging with those mentors on a regular basis and that they would be able to fully help you if the catastrophic layoff occurred. Make sure that mentor list isn't a bunch of individual contributors. Make sure they have the right connections and can help you along the way. And number three, put it on your calendar once a week, you know, maybe Sunday nights, maybe it's Wednesday, you know, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, whatever it is. Put something on your calendar for once a week, reoccurring, 30 minutes to actively support your network. What if you got a friend out there you hadn't worked with in a decade and he or she is in a tough spot working for a company that's you know, either not doing well or they're not doing well? Take a few minutes to actively support your, your LinkedIn network. Find, find peers. Uh, you can call it karma. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But uh, doing good, helping your, helping your friends and your old workmates out uh, can lead uh, to not only great things for them and their career and their life and their family, uh, it, can, it can pay dividends for you down the road potentially as well. I know I've told you the stories lately, Brian, but just recently a phone call for Call 10 in my real world. I hate to talk about it all the time, but it's just so good. Called someone, made a connection. Uh, in turn, we flipped two or three business opportunities back and forth with one another. Uh, it's been very good for him, been very good for me. Uh, and it's not that hard to do to just make introductions um, and share things with each other. The other thing is just Brian mentioned in, in past episodes as well. Write a LinkedIn referral for someone that you highly respect and enjoyed working with. doesn't have to be a lot, but they're going to get noticed that you wrote the referral. You may get one in return, but if you don't, you're still doing the right thing. You're still engaging your network. You're still keeping it active and top of mind for not only you, but those people in your network. Love it. Great stuff. Bobby, like we always say, average is the enemy. Don't have that average LinkedIn profile, an average relationship with mentors. Uh, let's make it great. And we'd love your feedback too. So if anyone has had an experience in this scenario, some feedback that you'd give to the listeners, please reach out to us, info at techshellshow.com. Check us out at Tech Shell Show on both LinkedIn and Facebook. And for Bobby, I'm Brian. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy. Mm-hmm.